You're listening to the Modern Producer Podcast, expert talk on livestock housing and animal husbandry. Get ready for today's episode. The Modern Producer Podcast is sponsored by... These days, a lot of things don't make sense, like gluten-free non-GMO water or raising pigs, but not eating pork. But NEDAP has three solutions for your farm that make sense, from farrowing to finish. NEDAP ProSense collects real-time 24-7 data on weight, feed intake, and calculates feed conversion ratios for you. NEDAP SowSense minimizes feed waste, maximizes sow performance, and saves labor for improved ROI. NEDAP PORKSense automatically sorts finishing hogs by weight, saving you feed and ensuring consistent market weights turn after turn for improved profits. Talk with your new standard representative today to see which NEDAP solutions make the most sense for your farm. Welcome to the Modern Producer Podcast. Uh, uh, this episode today we have uh, Jeff Morton with us and uh, Chet Mogler from Pig Hill Farms. Uh, uh, welcome, Chet. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, so I guess now that we have Chet uh, here, we're going to kind of focus on some of um, uh, what he does, uh, given that he's a uh, uh, sow producer here in Leicester, Iowa area. Uh, he's got a barn with uh, about 4,400 sows with uh, NEDAP equipment. Uh, Chet, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background of your history as you've come up into the industry? Sure. I might uh, take opportunity to back up a little bit. Our our family um, was traditionally, uh, my grandfather was traditionally a, a beef cattle feeder and um, row crop farmer. And uh, in the 70s, um, he had uh, uh, five boys that were beginning to come of age. And uh, in expanding the farming operation, looked to the swine industry for that opportunity. And so in 1976 was when our the Mogler family actually first got into into pigs and um, built a 200 head um, farrow to wean site. And over the next 20 years, that site expanded um, as, as most operations do, did and turned it into a 900 head sow farm with offsite nurseries and offsite grow finish. Um, and so uh, when I grew up um, through high school in the uh, late 90s, um, early 2000s, I spent time arming sows and, and uh, doing weekend chores and helping out and just really, really began to build a passion um, for, for pigs. I really like the uh, facilities. Facilities is also a, a huge passion of mine. I love, you know, tweaking ventilation, making sure everything's working at, at optimum performance. And so just um, really began to think about the future of our of our pig operation um and uh we have seven full-time or had seven full-time family members at the time and uh we're looking to grow because my generation was was beginning to graduate from high school and college and and look and see if there was opportunities on the family farm and um so i guess um really started to just uh delve into to thinking about where do, where do we want to go for the future? Um, and it was a time where the industry was, you know, talking about, um, our crates were, um, farrowing crates, gestation crates were, were getting looked at, um, from, uh, animal 
animal husbandry concerns and stuff like that from the outside public's perspective. And um, so gestation crates were kind of coming under fire a little bit and, and um, we're, we're firm believers in them, but yet we didn't want to limit our opportunity for marketing for the future. And so just really started to, uh, to do our homework on, uh, on what, what might be out there. And um, actually had a, a genetics rep that um, was, was through talking to us more about genetics, but in conversation uh, mentioned about um, this farm that he knew of that had a large group ESF neat app sow housing. And um, the more he talked about it, the more we became intrigued. And, and he was telling us about this, this Tim Kerbis guy uh, up in Sioux Falls. And uh, we had never heard of Tim Kerbis and he was only half hour away from us. <laughs> So some part of our marketing wasn't working well if you hadn't heard about us yet. Yeah. So, so um, through that, began to have conversations and and uh, um, got the opportunity and I believe it was yeah around 2012 to to go to a farm that that had NEDAP um, group cows sows and large um, 300 head pens and we were just totally totally intrigued with the technology and. Uh, the sow behavior within the pens and, um, and, you know, as we continued over the next two, three years, thinking about it and, and looking at other systems and hearing presentations at meetings about different group, how, how our group sow housing systems. Um, we, uh, we just kept going back to how that, how that farm looked and, and, uh, couldn't, couldn't see us going to any other system that we would really feel good about um, not limiting us for the future, both from individual feeding of sows um, to, uh, to the pen behavior and the, um, you know, the ability to feed them properly and, and, uh, and yet, you know, have that group environment. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just thinking about that first tour at the uh, the barn with the genetics company, I was on that tour with you, and I, I just remembered something that, and it, it, I think it was the first time I'd ever seen it. But Chet, you actually sat down, basically laid down in a pen and leaned up against a wall. I remember we got pictures of it, and you were amazed at the animal behavior, and you were able to just go right in the middle of the pen with them and actually, you know, sit down in a nesting area. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, but yeah, no, think of that. I do. Um, uh, yeah, I have, I believe I have the picture and yeah, um, got the opportunity to, uh, to interact with the animals and there were five of us in the pen that day and just, it was, it was as chill as could be. And, you know, there's the only, the only ruckus in the barn was that in heat guilt across the way, you know, squealing or whatever, <laughs> but. <laughs> so when a lot of people like to use that term, getting down to slot level, and that was quite literally what. Mm-hmm. somebody actually did and it is uh it is fun i guess uh, add some more to it to how you got to your decision but um just in that respect um <clears throat> being in barns like that uh that isn't the only one uh, and i'm sure you're you've seen it in your barn now and you've had people through your barn uh, since then i'm pretty sure your animals are about the same way where you can essentially um uh, get down to their level and they're perfectly okay with that yeah not going to be running away from you it's uh it's kind of a fun thing if you like animals yep no yeah 
we had the opportunity here um, to uh, to give a tour to some uh, food service folks from a hotel chain, and um, uh, got to a, a pen, and they looked very intimidated by 550, 600 pound sows, and I was like, "Go on in," and they were they were afraid they were going to get eaten, and they were just amazed that you know sows come up and sniff you and nibble on your boots or whatever, but yeah, they were they were just amazed at the uh, the environment within that pen. Sure, sure. So did it was a positive thing ultimately for them. Absolutely, yes. So, so. so when did you actually start designing your barn? I don't. I get too many overlapping uh, things that we're working on, so I don't quite remember when did you start. Yep. So um, 2014 was when we really started to, uh, the, you know, the old South Farm had been added on to, and and uh, we had. We had done as best a maintenance as we could within the confines of, of that barn and that that facility, and um, and really the genetics as we go from wanting our sows to wean, you know, ten pigs was a lot back in the day to looking towards the future of weaning fifteen sixteen per litter. Um, just the genetics started to kind of outgrow the facility, and so in two thousand fourteen was when we really. Um, realize that we've got to either make a, a major maintenance overhaul, you know, remodel on this on this facility, or sure. or um, look at something new. Right, so, right. And you guys did have some decisions to make because you wanted you wanted the barn close to home, being a family affair. But you're right in the middle of Pig Central or Purs Central, might be a better way of saying it. So, yeah. So. Um, that that was a that was a huge decision as well. Um, site where where to build the farm, and I'm I'm the guilty one for uh, putting it local. But um, I'm also I'm a firm believer that uh, most people most people who have passion for pigs um, uh, have spent some time in a farrowing building, and and whenever I'm around people I've never met before in the pig industry, I take a poll on that. And okay. um, I haven't been proven wrong very often. And the poll is? Did you grow up in, in pharaoh sows at some point in your okay, life? Sure. And people who are passionate in the pig industry, and, and most had. And I just feel that building passion for pigs doesn't start by loading out finishing barns and power washing finishing barns. I think it starts with the mothers and the babies. And, and I wanted that opportunity for my kids because I know that that's, that's how I began to build that passion. So going out to a remote area that, we weren't going to be able to manage the barn just was not appealing to me. So, so, um, we got comfortable with the filtration and, and the ability to do biosecurity properly, um, through consulting our vets and, and seeing other people's experiences with, with improved biosecurity measures that we felt, Hey, we can, we can do this nearby. And so, yeah, the, uh, the section that our South farms built in, there's actually 10,000 other pigs within mm. that section and within five miles. I mean, it'll blow your mind how many pigs there oh. are within our five miles of our south farm. Sure, sure. You, st you started decision-making in 2014. You actually started construction then in 15? Yep, so spring of 15. So, yeah, we spent, you know, the, the latter half of 2014 um, doing as many tours as we could of other, of other barns. Um, and just we really wanted to uh, build a facility that, that lasted you know, for the next 40 years, our, our first farm had, had lasted 40 years and we wanted to do that again. And so we didn't want to do any wrong decisions. Um, 
And, and one of our vets actually said, you know, you can, you can change gen- genetics, you can change nutrition, you can even change your vet, he said. And, uh, but he said, you won't change this facility once it's built. And so do right. it right. Yeah. And so, so it was very important for us to, to do our homework properly and, um, and kept going back to that experience we had um, with the NEDAP group, Sow Housed, and, and really started to get comfortable. Um, worked a lot with, with Jeff on the initial building designs and, uh, and Tim's crew, and, and um, it, it was fun. We had a, a building designer working for us at the time, and he'd draw it, and I'd chop it up with the scissors and tape it back together and say, now go redraw this, and it, it was quite the <laughs> process designing the facility. I would so, have to say... It was it was definitely one of the most um, detail oriented, and and you had so many family members involved. With you know, one uncle is very much focused on the construction that you do within the business, and another uncle had been involved very much on the on the pig production side, and um, having all those people at the table. And at one point, we even had a conference table filled at your farm with maybe twenty five people from genetics to nutrition and the vets and the construction side and there was just so much knowledge in that room and I remember your grandfather was in there and actually looked around that table and said man there's a lot of knowledge in this room I mean yeah. collectively it was it was an amazing process it, it was, was one of the most exciting it was one of barns. the coolest things I uh, remember that meeting as well because uh, even some of your bankers were there invited to participate just to see how the decisions are being made and I remember talking to uh, to one of those uh, bankers later on, and he says, "We we really don't ever see that part of the process." And and I think it was one of the most reassuring things, even for the banker, to know that there was such a level of engagement of bringing in the right people to to make or help make those decisions properly. It was um, it's something I'd uh, really like to see more more people get to that point of not just saying, "Okay, we've done this before; we can handle it." Uh, instead say, uh, let's bring in everybody that knows something and let's all hammer it out together. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We kind of, you know, our tendency is kind of to be, um, uh, a jack of all trades, masters of none. And so we, we try and, um, make good decisions by surrounding ourselves with smart people. And, uh, that's, that's what we tried to do through the process. And so, um, really just wanted to set ourselves up for success. Like Jeff said, through, through nutrition, through facility design, through the proper genetics, um, and and not not make any really bad decisions, um, I guess. Sure. So let's throw a little softball here, maybe, or something that that will make Jeff smile. But do you uh, can you ever think of a time during the whole thought process? Was anybody? Was there any other designs that were in consideration, or were it fairly early on that you said we got to go with those big pens with need app equipment? Yeah, we, we knew we wanted to be pens. And so, um, uh, just because we didn't want to have limited market access in the future. And, um, we, we had seen no other system that was able to not go backwards really in, in, uh, both production and, and animal care um, by going to pens. I mean, it was, it was the calmest pen environment we had seen both, you know, with our own eyes as well as um, being able to see some other systems that had it, that had phenomenal performance. And, and we couldn't, uh, you know, we, we just knew that this is, this is where we're going. So, 
So you populated, I think, initially in early 16, was it then? So we started taking delivery on guilds in August of 15. Um, Didn't start our first, started breeding in uh, September of 15. Harrowed our first sow February 23rd of of 2016. Um, It was a two-year build, so we did uh, two phases of construction for the whole site. So there's two gestation barns, two farrowing buildings one GDU that we built initially in 2015. And um, we, uh, so yeah, it was two, two years till we were fully, fully populated, fully producing, um, fully producing by uh, spring of 2017. Sure. So, I hope you, I hope you remember your wife's birthday as well as you remember all those days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now you've been uh, producing for a few years, I guess is, um, you've got the building you've got you've seen other things happen in the industry you've seen other um, uh, types of designs that other people have put in Uh, have you seen any reason to suggest that you made the wrong decision or would would you do the same thing again um i would do the same thing again and i've told many people that um i hope we're successful enough that that we get the opportunity to do another one because you know there's some small changes we would make um here and there just for for flow and stuff like that but but the in general the the gestation pen design that we chose um wouldn't wouldn't change much it, sure it works well for us that's good to hear um well let's uh i guess shift a little bit then uh um now you're running it on a on a daily management uh side of things um what kind of advantages have you seen? You've been in a stall barn. You still, I think, are operating that, or maybe you aren't, but that old or small one. But um, what what improvements or what advantages do you see now working with large pens? What what can you do that you couldn't do before that that you really appreciate? Um, so, I think the uh, it's it's different. Um, it, it and it took some learning. The uh, you know, really, when you you might think that in a large group setting with 300 sows, you lose your ability to individually identify. Well, you know, in a stall barn, say you've got a 1500 head stall barn, you've got, when you drop feed in the morning, it, it's pretty chaotic and you're scraping manure and you're sweeping front alleyways and, and how much are you really looking at the animals when you're doing that versus this, they're fed throughout, for the most part, throughout the night. And uh, so you come in in the morning and the animals are calm and you have a report of, um, you know, who didn't eat. And but you get a you get to walk the pen. There's just a lot more, a lot more interaction with the sows because you're you're out there in the pen walking amongst them and they get to interact with you how they how they want to as well. Sure. So do you actually see an improvement then from what or the way you're talking? I, I would say that you're seeing an improvement in animal care and the ability to, to provide individual care, even though they're in larger groups. I would say it, it's different. Um, uh, you know, I'd say we have the most uniform body condition we've ever had. And so the, the ability to feed them and, and, you know, they get the exercise walking around that pen. So, um, fair wings go better. We, we have less prolapses. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the individual care, it's, it's different. Um, I think we, we, we haven't gone backwards. I mean, I feel we've always been good herdsmen, I guess. And so, um, I'm not going to say we ever did a bad job or it was, 
it, it's way better now. I mean, we've always tried to optimize um, herdsmanship, but it's definitely not more work. It, it's and it, it's just a different a different level of interaction with the sows. How do your employees, those who who didn't get involved in the decision making, but now work in a in a barn that that you made the decisions on, a lot of them would have had experience too in in install barns. How do they uh, view view the shift or the, the barn that they're working in now? Um, I haven't I haven't ever had anybody say anything negative about it. It's it's again it's a different learning curve. Um, probably a little bit more of the the needing to understand the technology and. Um, Data management has been a, a huge part of it. You don't have a you don't have a sow card hanging on the back of every every stall that goes around with the animal, and so you know doing data on a very timely basis um, in the in the record system, um, so that as you need information on a sow, you can have it immediately. And so you know along with the, the technology and the feeding systems, we've We've substantially improved our, our data management and timeliness of it. We actually have all of our data is done out in the barn by the employees, and they're able to correct their own mistakes. They're able to see how well they're doing, and we, we create scoreboards, and we report back to them. And, and um, so we actually have substantially faster data flow returning back to the employees driving their, their uh, level of engagement. And so I'd say we've, we've drastically improved there. And, and part of that has come, you know, by transitioning to ESFs. Sure. So you're seeing actually a more, much more current uh, analysis of the barn rather than looking and saying, well, this happened yesterday or this happened last month. You might see some of that, well, this is happening right now. Yeah. So, for example, um, when they put their farrowing data in for, for the last 18 hours, I mean, they come in at noon and they have, have the previous... 12 to 18 hours of farrowing data. I mean, sure. the breeders have their um, scoreboard updated by by um, morning break, and and so um, we're we're utilizing technology to to engage our employees and and really just continue to drive accountability. And as you do that, they have more time to properly care for animals within the system. So some that's sort of idea up then you're <clears throat> you're improving your accountability you're you're actually increasing engagement from your employees while actually allowing them to be better at their job yeah did i miss anything there no okay uh, so there's a works. pretty pretty cool uh, advantage and you'd almost say that it's a significant advantage do you see any other things that come with group housing in general or with NEDAP equipment that you didn't expect or that you wouldn't be able to do in a stall barn that, that you're now able to do in, in a barn like that? Um, uh, you know, we have, I guess, drilling down to the specifics of a, of a pen. And so um, we run about 50 to 55 heads per station. We have some pens that have... Um, five stations, some pens that have six stations, so um, 275 to 330 head pens. And, uh, you know, we're loading, they're going into the pen 48 hours after their final insemination. So it's just as they're coming out of estrus, going into the pen, um, we've got the boar, the boar station in the pen. So, I mean, any, any animals that are coming into heat, coming open, uh, returns. The estrus they're they're being detected by that bore and and that is a, a pretty decent success rate for us um we do sure. preg check some open but 
um, that that system works well. Um, we do a vaccination or the pregnancy check within the pen. So the, the separators will paint, will paint a day ahead of time and go out and find, you know, the, we, if we paint a hundred animals to preg check, we'll, uh, we might find 85% of them um, quickly. And the next day we just sort out the next 15 and finish it up. Sure. Sure. And so the workflow, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's just as efficient um, as animals lined up in stalls, I guess. So even though it's a large group. Well, that's pretty cool. So how are you using, I know you had mentioned it to me last week, but uh, you, you've, you've told me that you have shifted a little bit how you're even using the, um, uh, the reports that you get uh, during the day to improve animal care. You wanna just sort of dive into that a little bit? Yeah, so um, the, the software, um, the Velo software with the NEDAP stations um, gives us a, ver a varied amount of information back that uh, we can utilize to, to better care for the animals. And one of them is a, a feed balance, and that's um, you know an animal that didn't eat yesterday's budget as well as today's budget. And um, we were always looking for that you know kind of two days in a row off feed that we'd go find those and, and see what the problem was and, and help those animals out. And we had a farm that came through that has the NEDAP system and uh, they came through on a tour looking at our, our farm and um, they said they've, they've made an improvement on their sow mortality rate by, by going and, and looking day one for anybody who hasn't eaten basically in the last 16 hours um, since their budget was refreshed. If they haven't eaten by morning, they're going out and finding those animals immediately. Sure. And, and it, it increases the amount of animals that you're um, needing to look for on a daily basis, but the return um, for that particular system, they felt was upwards of almost 5% on a sow mortal, annualized sow mortality rate. And so we've just moved to that. We're not, we're not um, soon enough in the process, but I'd say the advantages that we've seen so far is substantially earlier intervention on any form of treatment or care that that, that sow needs. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, that will, I know that that will result in time in better sow mortality, um, you know, needing to, you know, potentially, if, if it's a sow that some, for some reason she needs to be called, you have that, you get her on a call truck versus putting her in a compost pile. That's a, that's a huge thing. Um, if you can intervene soon enough to get her to a, to a farrowing room and, and uh, just continuing to increase our level of care um, uh, has been, we feel, will be advantageous for sure. So you've raised the workload a bit by checking these animals sooner, but the, the results in, in better animal care um, is, is showing itself then. Right? Yeah, and, you know, it's you can look at it as it raises the workload, but it raises the workload on the front end and it will reduce it on the back end because sure. you don't have a, a sow that went down or a mortality. I mean, having somebody haul out a dead sow, it's, it's, it's not a labor intensive. It's, it's hard on people. Right. So uh, it's, that's financial and it's, that's a, that's an hour they spent removed a dead sow and they could have been doing something sure. else for an hour. That's productive. And, and it always feels better to walk a sow out to the barn, even if it's onto a trailer than it is to haul her out on a dead cart. Absolutely. So it's actually probably just better for the overall mood of the barn sometimes. Absolutely. Yep. Sure. I know you have a, 
a really fun story. I'll let you get into it, perhaps. But uh, I've got this uh, note in front of me. I didn't want to forget to mention that your uh, your struggles with a sow who liked to uh, nibble on things. Oh yeah, the rogue tag eater. <laughs> so this is only this is funny because we've had a few, somebody in Virginia since have that problem, and I know it's happened in Western Canada as well. And it's it's I understand how frustrating it is, but go ahead and just tell us. So um, one small issue we did have was uh we had a pen that um we were losing just a ton of ear tags in this pen and it was to the point where i had put a uh, construction um you know a tool belt for construction and set it up with ear tags markers and a tagging uh gun and uh was needing to go out there on a daily basis to tag 20 to 30 head and what you know while i'm investigating trying to figure out where are they losing these tags and I couldn't find anywhere within the equipment that was snagging. I thought at first it was gilts because um, it was the gilts were irritable and they were chewing off tags for some reason because a lot of the gilts had their tags still. It was predominantly sows that were losing them. And um, anyway, I called Tim because um, I was kind of to the end of my rope because I wasn't finding out what was going on. And how many how many hours a day did you spend? I, tagging animals? It, it was like six hours for three, four days in a row that I was tagging animals. Yeah, yeah. So I called Tim because I, I just couldn't find what in the world was causing it. And um, he's like, my brother had a farm up in Canada that had a sow that decided to have a, a liking for eating ear tags. He said, you've, I'm thinking you've got a rogue sow out there. And so I just started focusing in you know i was looking at so much the equipment or snags or, or whatever sure. so i just started to focus in on on individual animals and um sure enough i uh, found a a wet chewed on tag on the ground and i'm like she's got to be around here somewhere and i look over and i see a sow standing there chewing on an ear tag <laughs> and so i instantly pulled out my phone and started videotaping because i'm like i think i've got the uh, culprit and Sure enough, she meanders over to another sow, and within 45 seconds of me videotaping, she snipped off an ear tag. And it was just this parody two or three sow that was ripping off ear tags every minute and a half, two minutes. Yeah, she was pretty good at it. I saw the video, and she, it didn't take her. Once she engaged with a different uh, sow's ear, it was about a four-second time frame between when she walked up to where she just jerked her head back, and she had popped the tag out. Yeah, and, and I think the only reason... She wasn't getting the gilts ear tags off just because they were a little more irritable. You know, uh, an older sow didn't mind that this other sow was sniffing on her ear and the gilts probably pulled their head away sooner. And sure. uh, so we uh, brought her over to a breed stall and um, <laughs> she became a Jimmy Dean sandwich. Well, yeah, but she managed to clip the ear tags off the two sows in the crates beside her before wow. that. Yeah, yeah. So we have never had another one of those, thankfully, but that was a unique situation that um makes funny real, story i guess but at the time it was yeah. not funny yeah. <laughs> i didn't realize that she did the crates beside her that's funny yeah yeah so oh i mean sows are they're, they're a unique um animal it's fun to work with you get these frustratingly store uh, funny stories it's funny only on the back end but it's uh, so unique we there was a, a story of this one sow that actually for some reason 
now the cells on the need up system would have the responder, uh, the RFID responder put in the right ear because all of the antennas are on the right hand side. And for some reason, somebody had forgot which hand they write with or couldn't figure out left and right. And they had tagged one sow on the left ear. And this sow had figured out that when she was in the feeder, she, she flipped her head so that her left ear would be by the antenna. It would drop some feed. She'd eat it, and then she'd flip her head again, and some more feed would drop. They're supremely intelligent. It's, but it's funny, too, because it's just they, they learn things uh, in such a unique way. And who knows how this girl figured out that if she could, um, if she could flip her head, she'd get fed. And there was another one. Was it your barn, Chet, or maybe somebody else's, where a, a sow learned that if she spent time at the boar, she'd get separated every day. And was that your Yeah, point? yeah. So we, um, um, the big separations I ended up on our farm uh, putting in a, a, a feeder in there because it was like an opportunity for pull, you know, if we had an animal that went lame for some extra care, we'd pull them out. Well, I didn't put a gate in there. So anybody that was separated out um, could get to feed because uh, I had put a feeder in there. Right. And yeah, I definitely had some sows, I mean, that, that figured out that if they can get out to separation, they can eat. So they would stand by the boar station and, and uh, come into heat, so to speak. <laughs> or, or get marked as being in heat yes. and get separated. So, it, you know, that's the thing about this system is it really lets, it really brings out the natural um, interactions that the sows have with each other, with their environment. You know, the large pen I'll see in the winter where they're snugged into their bedrooms more and, uh, you know, there's a wide open alley down the center. They're, they're tempering themselves to the, to the sure. climate a little bit. And in the summer, it's just a blanket of sows. Nobody's touching each other. You know, they can just something as simple as that. They can self moderate some, you know, to the, right. to the environment within the barn. And I think, I think that's one of the coolest things and the most rewarding things about doing things what I believe is is the right way. Um, uh, it, it allows the sows to naturally express themselves, and people maybe don't even realize that so much until you start having these conversations or these these stories about you know the, uh, the funny little irritating things at times. Is that th these are a tremendously intelligent, um, uh, highly curious, and 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 really habitual uh, animals, but those tendencies don't really come out until they're comfortable until the stress is at a low level. And then all of a sudden, these animals develop personalities, each to their own, and it, they start to express those personalities. But most guys really probably don't even realize that because if the stress level is high, everybody's just an irritated animal and the personalities really don't start to manifest the same way. So it's really rewarding even to me just being in these barns and seeing some of this. And yeah, I know it's frustrating when you have that one tag nibbler, uh, but, but that's where it really starts to show you that there is a there is a um, a response to actually giving them what what serves them well. Yeah, and you can pick up. You know, you you get used to. There's no there's no time in the barn where there's um, you know a huge a huge event like a feed drop that just everybody's up squealing ready for feed. I mean, it's it's always calm. Um, at the loudest time in the barn is breeding. You know, when when they're vocalizing to the boar over by the breed stalls but i mean the times within the esf uh it, it's it's always calm in there and you can um you know so if there is a disturbance it's very easy to pick up on because the natural natural environment is that everybody's laying down and 
in mind in their own business. So does that become then a marker? Have you have, do you talk this over with your staff? Do you say here's some markers that would indicate that something's wrong? We can know we can see that there's a level of stress developing, and we need to find out what's causing it. Whether it's a disease coming in, or, or are we doing something wrong with the, with how we're interacting? Um, do you, do you see those markers and use them? You know, yeah. There's there's things that I when we do our pen checks, I say, guys, just. You know, we have a list of things they're looking for, you know, checking the waters, make ensuring that the feed systems are, are properly engaged, um, uh, you know, monitoring a certain amount of things that are just on a list. But I say, OK, now, whenever you're done with a pen's chores, just walk that pen with no specific task in mind and just let your senses work, because you'll find a sow that's, you know, maybe nibbling at you that shouldn't be in, you know, um, sure. she's starting to come into heat or, or you see that sow that's, um, you know, sitting off in the corner a little bit and you go over and look at her and get her up and sure enough, she's, you know, she went lame and, and you can, you can pick up just by utilizing your senses, what, you know, something that's not normal because you become, as you work there, you become accustomed to to what's normal and sure. so so does it do you see that or or notice that it uh, <clears throat> a pen like that or a setup like that does it bring out the stockmanship in people differently uh, than it would in say a stall barn yeah, yeah i would say it's it's a different level um i wouldn't say that um you know it takes a, a higher level of employee or anything like that i think it really it it personalizes um I mean, it lets people utilize their stockmanship skills. And really that's, that's the fun thing about doing, doing livestock chores, right? I mean, it's not fun scraping manure and sweeping feed alleys. It's fun checking a pen and working with the animals themselves. That's why, it's why everybody who works on a South farm, you know, gets passionate. about. Yeah. The the people who are passionate, it's, it's the interactions with the animals and and, and being part of a team to continue to improve. So where do you see the future going for you guys then, even within the barn uh, uh, in general? Is there some newer technologies you're watching for or is there different ways that you're looking to improve or do you have things that you want to see happen uh, for, your, for your own facility in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, you hear the term big data and uh, stuff like that. I think, you know, as farms with this technology, the, the amount of data that's out there that we can begin to decipher you know, opportun- areas of opportunity, it, it's just huge. And um, I think, you know, that's that's why we, that was one of the, the reasons as well to go to an electronic sow feeder and, you know, have in individually fed animals. And we're just excited about how we can utilize that in the future from, right. you, know, you know, back fat ultrasound to, to scales to um, just, you know, it, it, there's just the opportunities are limitless and, and it's fun. Even, even what we've learned over the last several years, you know, as we interact with other farms, um, that have the, the need app group house system, the little things we've learned from each other. And, um, it's, it's kind of a fun community to, to be a part of and, and to continue to go forward. And, and I would just say anybody looking at it, I think, um, those of us who've built the systems, we've been thankful for, other farms that have allowed us in the door to to train or to learn um, from what they've learned you don't have to go out and reinvent the wheel or or uh, there's there's definitely people out there who have run these systems that have the knowledge 
that you don't have to, um, you know, you don't be, have, be a new guy. You you're can, not by yourself. It's it, like you say, it is a kind of a community and we see that a lot. Maybe it's the way we position ourselves. Maybe it's the way we view, uh, our, our customers. But I tend to think that like you, most of our customers want to be doing it right and want to be at the forefront. They're not the primary decision, the primary engagement with the barn isn't because they have to, it's because they want to. Uh, they want to do it right. They want to care for the animals the right way. And they want to give them everything they can to make them uh, stress-free and, and, and ultimately productive. Right. No, and I'd say that's one of the, you know, that's one of the coolest things I see about the pig industry in general is there just seems to be a lot of collaboration amongst, amongst pig producers um, working towards the, the common goal of getting better. I mean, people very, very seldom are, are, you know, trying to keep their ideas to themselves. It's, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of shared thought to, to everybody's improvement. And, and really, um, we've become a global, the market's global market. Um, and so, um, the more efficient the, the United States pig industry or, you know, under North American pig industry is, we have the opportunity to feed the rest of the world. And so getting better together is, um, you know, it's, that's a huge opportunity we have. Sure. I think I see, I still see some, some hesitancy in, in terms of communicating directly with the public for fear of maybe not presenting the right way, but there's really a, like you say, a wide open interaction between producers to try and better the whole industry in general. Um, there's still, like I say, some hesitancy sometimes to go directly to the public and, you know, throw open the doors and show them what they're doing. But amongst the uh, different producers, it's pretty wide open. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, the uh, the National Pork Board has taken a little different approach in their in their advertising and, and, and promoting our product from trying to hit all, you know, 300 million United States consumers to, to focusing on on the big influencers, grocery stores, food chains, stuff like that. And, and we've had that opportunity, um, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, we had the opportunity to give a, give a tour um, to some, some chefs from, from the East Coast, and they were just amazed. And, and, you know, we've, I think that was shoot approaching two years ago that we gave that tour, and uh, um, we've ran into a few of them, you know, time to time and uh, have heard that they just love to reference their experience they had. And so that, that is the challenge of the future is, you know, people become more and more distanced from the farm. And so we've got to be willing to quote unquote, open the doors and, and show people what's, what's inside. Sure. And and there's nothing to be scared of in, in a large sense. If you've got some a facility like yours, it's, it's very rewarding even to show people like these chefs who have never seen it before uh, just because it's, it's fun. You know how good it is in there and you know how much fun it is to work with these animals. And it's just fun to show these guys. It's not a factory farm as they like to derogatorily, uh, you know, call them. Yep. Yep. And when, uh, when they came out, I, I brought my, you know, to prove the point, I brought my kids with me. And I think my daughter was, was five at the time. And, um, you know, she's running around amongst the 500 pound sows and they were just like, what? And, yeah. you know, they were, they were, they were surprised and, you know, but the sows are used to that. They're, mm -hmm. they're used to interacting with people and, and, uh, yeah, 
you know, my daughter's slapping them on the butt and they're <laughs> sniffing at her. And, you know, she's, she's a pretty feisty little girl and she was telling them their business or whatever. And so <laughs> now, you know, it was for them to see that interaction. That's like, yeah, know. it does. There's no better picture than that. Really. It's it, yep. so that is the future is your kids. What, what, I mean, as a way to maybe bring this all back and wrap it up, like, what do you see in general for, uh, you know, the Mogler family, Pig Hill Farms, uh, where, where's the future looking for you guys? Um, you know, we're, we probably consider ourselves progressive agriculturalist. And so, um, it's just our tendency to continue to get more efficient, to continue to improve. Um, if, if opportunity, um, presents itself, growth is, is something where, you know, if it, if it provides opportunity for our family and for our community and, and, um, uh, you know, just in for the future of our operation, um, we're, we're interested in it. So the only way you continue to do those things, get better to grow, um, is, is by improved efficiencies is by utilizing, you know, technology and, and, uh, getting better every day. If you're not getting better every day, you're sitting still. Right. <clears throat> and if you're sitting still, somebody's passing you. Right. So, well, cool. Appreciate you coming out today, having this discussion. Jeff, did I leave anything out or you got some questions or you want to wrap it up? Well, my head always jumps to scratching my construction itch. So um, I, I was curious regarding your facility and, and your building and your layout and everything like that. Are there anything, or anything in particular that you would do different if you had it to do over as far as the layout design? Haven't used it now for a few years. You know, the biggest, probably the biggest challenge um, was the startup. And it's, you know, you're, you're trying to train a lot of guilts. And one of the things we have found is absolutely huge is proper pre-training. And I would think really hard through the process of a startup to, you know, to figure out how you could pre-train, you know, 10 times the amount of guilds you're going to once you're started up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's ways around that because, um, we're, we're fit into our system now, but I mean, that, that is definitely, that is definitely a challenge is, uh, is working through that process. Back to your original question, changing how we've done it from the pen layout. Um, no, I, I don't see how, you know, the racetrack style, um, single separation, uh, large group pens. Um, we're, we're kind of a uh, combination uh, dynamic static. So we, we roll the pen over in about um, three weeks. So we separate, we have two barns. We breed roughly 220 head a week and uh, each barn that's about equal. So roughly 100, 110 um, going into a pen in one barn in a week. And if pen's 330 head it takes three weeks to roll that pen over and so we fill the pen for three weeks as we're pulling due to pharaohs out and then that pen sits stagnant and that seems to work really well for us for the size farm we have i know it all depends what size farm you have i know other people have learned um what works best for them and so again you know if you have a, a new customer that's that's um you know there, there's people out there who've had those experiences on on 1,200 head south farms up to 7,000 head south farms. I mean, 
somebody knows kind of the best flow through their experiences. And so you don't have to attempt to figure it out with no knowledge because somebody's got that knowledge that's available. Right. I know your design, we designed it with what I call, you know, NEDAP's ideal starting point. This, if, if you can do everything exactly what we perceive is the best way to do it, it's that large pen um, and the design and the layout that you have. And I think just to jump back a little bit back into that conference room and you talking about how you surround yourself with the right people and everything, a big key component of that is the Mogler, Mogler family's willingness to listen, right? Because you, you do have producers oftentimes who are just very dogmatic about, you know, they have it in their head before they've even seen all the options. This is how we're going to do it. And that's it. Yep. But you all opened yourselves up to a, a lot of information and were able to take that and analyze it and do what's best for Moglers, but, but certainly willing to listen. Yep. I don't know that we've been told that very often that us stubborn Germans are, are good listeners. <laughs> Appreciate that, Jeff. Nice, but, little, uh, nice little pat on the back there. <laughs> no, I mean we recognize our we recognize our, you know, lack of knowledge. I mean we're grandpa grandpa makes the joke he never made it far in life because he was he was born at the half mile line, you know, moved a half half mile east moved a mile west and the church cemetery is a mile and a half back east and so he says he never made it more than two miles in life and so <laughs> so uh you know yeah but we do recognize our our scope is is pretty small and so you know we we like to interact with with people who see um a lot more sows than we do on mm -hmm. a you know on an annual basis and because we're we're pretty uh small fries compared to a lot of um, other people, but we, we, we feel we're, we're good herdsmen. We feel that, um, there's, there's a lot of advantages to be in the small hometown farm production system. So. Well, you're doing a great job and, and EDAP is certainly proud to have you as part of that community. Yeah. New standard will, you know, second that is one of the best customers we have. So again, we appreciate you coming in here. No, thank you guys. It's been, it's been fun. And, uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're always, always open to, to learning from others and, and being able to share, share the ideas and things that we've learned, um, with, with other people, with potential new customers and stuff like that. So on that note, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up and once more, thanks. <clears throat> thanks for coming in chat.